Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. We are able to bring you these podcasts through support from a Scott County Regional Authority grant and in collaboration with KALA-FM. In today's podcast, we discuss the interlinks of person-centered care and trauma-informed care. This week's podcast host is Ann Garten. Ann is the director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and nursing faculty at St. Ambrose University. Welcome to the IPCC podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Person-Centered Care in collaboration with KALA-FM. I'm Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care at St. Ambrose University, and will be your host for today's podcast. Today, I'd like to introduce to you, our listeners, to our two guests, Ann McNellis and Paula Vanderveld. Paula, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, it's Paula Vandervelde. Thank you. Oh, sorry, my <laughs> and <best> apologies. <laughs> oh, no, I am used to it. Remember, I married into the name. It wasn't mine to start with. <laughs> but I, uh, I work out of the Child Abuse Council of the Quad Cities, and I am the coordinator for the Quad Cities Area Trauma-Informed Consortium. Uh, The consortium is really a place for professionals and community members to share their efforts in creating a more resilient Quad Cities area. So the consortium is going on its sixth year of trauma education work in the Quad Cities area. Um, We are, we just went through a restructure and we are heading into this virtual world, just like everybody else, (laughs) be first. (laughs) Um, but personally, I am a busy wife and a mother of three children under eight. So I'm happy to be here with you today. You are busy. Thank you so much. Anne, would you like to share a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Thank you for having me. And my name is Anne McNellis, and I am the clinical director at Transitions Mental Health Services. And Transitions is a non-for-profit mental health organization uh, serving the Quad City area for over 40 years. This is our 40th anniversary this year. I am also an Illinois licensed clinical social worker, and I have specialized in the field of mental health for 26 years now. I have had the pleasure of being an adjunct professor with the MSW program at St. Ambrose for 10 years now, and I am also part of the Quad City Trauma-Informed Consortium as both a trainer and a consultant and a steering committee member. So thank you for having me today. Thank you both for joining us. I think I'd like to get us started with defining what it means by trauma while we're talking about that in this podcast. Anne, would you maybe give us some thoughts on that, please? Sure. Um, Well, we're we're speaking not just about medical trauma, which I think is where the healthcare field tends to kind of go. What we really want our audience to understand is that trauma is an event or a series of events that's experienced by the individual as physically or emotionally harmful or threatening. And it has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning in terms of their physical well-being, their, their social connections, their social functioning, their emotional well-being, and their spiritual well-being. So I want to bring the person-centered care lens into this because when we even define trauma and we begin to consider types of trauma, we have to consider the individual's experience and how they experience the event. So what, um, 
what may be traumatic for one individual may not be traumatic for another individual. So it's when an event really exceeds that person's capacity to cope with it, it becomes a trauma. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. And I think, Paula, then would you then pull in how we put our use trauma-informed care uh, related to this type of trauma? Yeah, absolutely. Um, trauma-informed care, um, I might call it tick because it's shorter that way, but it really it refers to a particular approach that we use in communicating with individuals, specifically with uh, individuals that are seeking our services. So we can apply this approach to many different fields. It could be in the human service field, in the medical field, um, in the behavioral health field, uh, and we do a lot of work also in the educational field. It mm -hmm. suggests that when we're working with other individuals that we believe that the majority, if not universally, um, individuals are more likely to have had a history of trauma than they are to not have experienced some sort of trauma. Um, and that trauma-informed care really recognizes that presence of trauma symptoms and acknowledges the role that trauma plays in an individual's life and how, like Anne said, that it will impact their daily interactions and even impact some of their executive functioning skills. The goal of trauma-informed care is really to transition those in helping fields to a new perspective. So rather than seeing individuals or seeing those that they work with as having something wrong with them, uh, we see them as having had something happen to them. So they've experienced something traumatic that has led to actual changes in their body, like Anne was talking about. So I'm going to put in here, this can happen across the lifespan, am I correct? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I yes. wonder if you could pull in a little bit about ACEs and how we assess for these types of things that might affect a person. Mm-hmm. Um, can I back up a moment, Ian, and share a little bit about the types of trauma one can experience because that does oh, impact on the ACEs research. So a trauma could be a single event. It could be something that happened in a very specific um, time-limited fashion. It could be uh, the experience of having a car accident, being in a car accident, being robbed, um, being a survivor of assault, experiencing a natural disaster. And these types of acute events can result in um, kind of what we traditionally know more as post-traumatic stress disorder and PTSD. Um, then there's more chronic and intermittent type of, of uh, trauma, such as uh, domestic violence or wartime, where that type of trauma is kind of occurring over and over again. Um, oppression and racial trauma can also fall within that type of trauma category. Um, historical and multi- or intergenerational type of trauma is what certain populations have endured, um, and that can actually impact on one's genetic structure. And what we're talking about there is um, 
for example, uh, Jewish Holocaust survivors, um, Africans who have uh, been transported over to America and had experienced a history of slavery, um, what our Native Americans have endured. Um, you know, those are all examples of what we mean when we talk about historical trauma. And then the last one is complex trauma, um, also referred to as developmental trauma. And that's when we're talking about the long-term impact of childhood type of adversities like neglect and abuse, family conflicts, high conflict type of family situations and dysfunction, um, a lack of ongoing resources to cope. Um, oftentimes then complex trauma begins to neurobiologically and neurophysiologically change the brain structure and the brain functioning, and that impacts as well then on the body's overall health. Um, so complex trauma is, has a developmental impact on children, but it does run the course of a lifetime. And uh, complex trauma tends to be interpersonal in nature. And what we know about that is that when violence happens at the hands of another person, it does tend to be experienced as more traumatic than other traumas without negating the impact that other traumas can and do have. Um, complex interpersonal trauma does impact on the child's ability to uh, form attachments and bonds with others. It can impact, as I said before, on the biology of the body. It can impact on that individual's ability to regulate their affect and um, express emotions in a really healthy manner. Um, it can impact on one's impulse and behavioral control. Paula touched upon executive functioning and trauma can impact on one's cognitive abilities. And lastly, it can also impact on one's sense of themselves and their, their self-concept and their self-worth. So I don't know if Paula wants to shift here and go into the actual ACEs study and share a little bit about that. So, yeah, I, I will in one second, Paula, if you don't mind, because I love an analogy that we're seeing in the literature around um, people of color, and they're stating mm -hmm. it's weathering. So it, and, and I love that because it really, mm -hmm. if you think about a storm constantly pounding on the soil and on, on the earth and, you know, or on the shoreline, that sort of thing, and it weathers away at, at the soil. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. then the same thing happens to our body system, if, if I understand that correctly. Yes. Yes. Um, so that, yeah, that brings to mind erosion, erosion yes. on the body yes. and um, on all of those systems. And that's a result of the body constantly being in this state of um, high stress and alert when we're in that fight-or-flight response because we're constantly being b bombarded with some signs that our, our, our lives are at threat or we're living in an environment where we might even have difficulty ascertaining what is threatening and what's not threatening because our stress response system is always on high alert. Um, that actually starts to uh, biologically program our body differently. It has an impact on our brain chemicals. It has an impact on our wiring. It has an impact on the functioning capacities of the brain and different organs in the body. It ha it, trauma is um, remembered on a cellular level within our body. So we may not always be consciously um, remembering a traumatic effect, but our bodily system is remembering it on a cellular level in a sensory sort of way. 
Excellent. Thank you for sharing. So, Paula, do you want to pull in the ACEs study then? Yeah, she gave me a great introduction there. Um, the ACE study gave us really, really great information about all of those brain facts that are shared. And our bodies are just not prepared to deal with stress for more than 20 minutes at a time. We evolved to only be able to determine if we need to fight, flight, freeze, or in some cases, there's emerging research about fawning. Um, I haven't really got into that too much in this uh, aspect, but there's always new information coming out. And your body responds the same way now as it did when we were primitive beings, primitive evolutionary beings. So your brain doesn't necessarily um, differentiate between that perceived threat and an actual threat. And if your brain has been continually taught and exercised that path, then that's how an individual who has experienced a lot of trauma is going to choose to respond. And we're seeing that more and more um, in children and in individuals who have been raised in chaotic relationships and chaotic environments. Um, And the ACE study with Dr. Anda and Dr. Felitti put that into perspective by adding the ACE score to the conversation. And we have been able to use this ACE score, which is the idea of um, multiple categories of childhood trauma added together to give you a biological dose of stress and then use that to determine your risk factors going forward. Because as we've seen, the dose of your biological stress can increase the likelihood of um, future health and physical and mental health challenges as you grow. It's actually leading to early death in many cases. So tell me, uh, uh, Paula, does this then also pull in things from social determinants of health or um, is that very separate from this? I don't think it's separate at all. I see social determinants of health and the effects of ACEs as being the exact same thing. We are seeing um, a direct correlation between childhood trauma and social determinants of health. So you agree, Anne? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paula mentioned the dose-response relationship and what the ACE study um, found, and it's so compelling, was that every single area of, um, of, of, of the social ills that we saw in the, the 90s and beyond and still currently going on, there was a really strong correlation between as the A score went up, so did the number of health issues, so did the number of um, social ills. So there was a correlation found between A scores of three or four or more with higher risk for unemployment, higher risk for Uh, physical and mental health disabilities, higher risk for learning delays and social failures and, I'm sorry, school failures and school dropout rates, uh, a correlation with higher score and criminal justice involvement, higher score in homelessness, higher score in mental health issues and substance use issues. Um, In fact, so much so that the CDC had never seen such a a dose-response relationship in all of those categories. They made those principal investigators go back and review all of their data, and they came out with the exact same information. 
chronic health conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, COPD, obesity, all of those had a really strong correlation with a scores of three or more. Um, and we can't negate also um, just the environmental types of um, traumas that we're seeing as well today, that neighborhood violence and racial oppression and police violence, um, the natural disasters, um, climate change, uh, pandemics, et cetera, all of those are having an impact on the body and the brains. It's so phenomenal to look at every one of the things that are listed as being a traumatic event and then see the cyclical side. Because as we're, those are causing ACEs, those adverse childhood experiences, they in and of themselves are becoming ACEs again. Because like you said, it's held in the body. So that, that chemicals, those chemicals that are dumped when we experience that fight or flight response, the cortisol, um, the epinephrine, all of this, it's living in our body and it's actually changing our cells, changing our DNA. And what do we pass on to our children, right? What do we pass mm -hmm. down into the families? We pass on our DNA. We also pass on our experiences. So that's a, it's a double dose of trauma. So it exponentially increases as um, the cycle continues. So it's really breaking that cycle that is becoming so important. So to break the cycle, Anne, I wonder if you would share mm -hmm. with us how health and human service professionals incorporate TIC into their cares. Uh, well, we, you know, before we get too depressed with this information, um, <laughs> we need, you know, we are in this profession because we are just natural helpers and we want to affect change. And so we have to, we have to look at not only how does ACEs impact on the brain and the body, but how does building resiliency and what are those protective factors? What are those things that we can do um, as a community, as a parent, as family members, as church communities, as providers that can build in protective factors, that can build hope and resilience and optimism. Um, so the ACE study really wasn't just about understanding the neurological impact on trauma. It was really an invitation to all of us to reduce adversity and reduce, um, reduce ACEs and its impact on um, our communities, our society, and our global world. So let's open it up to talk about what that looks like. Um, well, when we talk about um, resilience and protective factors, we're really talking about, again, that, so, that sense of hope and optimism. Um, and these are really critical components to thriving in a, in a world that we're living in with just such a high prevalence of, um, of toxic stress. Um, so resilience can, can mean a few different things. It can mean the ability to be um, self-aware, and tuned into oneself and be able to regulate oneself emotionally. Um, it's the ability to, to bounce back at, in times of adversity and manage things when, when setbacks happen. Um, it's the ability to control one's impulses. Um, we call that self-regulation, and that seems to be um, related to perseverance and grit. Um, secondly, and I think we've really learned this um, these last six, seven months, the connection to healthy, positive, 
supportive interpersonal relationships. Um, social support has long been recognized as a cornerstone in helping people get through difficult adversities. Um, social connections really help us to combat loneliness and negative thinking, and those are often associated with the aftermath of an emotionally um, traumatic event. And then lastly, the other piece of resiliency is about meaning-making. How do we take, um, that's a spiritual task, how do we undertake and make sense of this event that uh, caused um, painful suffering? How do we find new hope and purpose? And how do we transcend ourselves through that experience? Um, finding new purpose really can be the turning point in the process of recovery. So um, those are sort of the individualized types of ways in which a person can move through a traumatic experience. Um, there's other protective factors that, that we may not be able to eliminate traumas, um, but we can, we can build resilient communities so that we can bounce back and we can help our loved ones bounce back. And so uh, that's building parental resilience. So we've got, we've got more trainings going on in the community right now around um, COVID's impact on mental health and COVID's impact on families. And so how do we build in protective factors? What are those components? What does that look like? Um, how do we... Um, how do we counter it with more uh, creative social and emotional contacts with individuals? Because we know that that's such a big component of our mental health to be socially connected while also minimizing our health risk right now. I was just going to say, and I believe, Paula, um, uh, that right now the consortium is offering some ACE virtual training to do some of that support, correct? Yes, yes, we are. Um, one of the benefits of living in this hidden virtual world is that we can offer so much more to the community at large. So we have shared already some really wonderful virtual pieces of training, but our next goal is to provide a community-wide virtual ACE learning experience. Um, so like before, we would be much more confined by space and cost, but we are lucky to have a curriculum, the ACE interface, that translates very well into an online format. So it's a great way um, to just get familiar with all of that brain science and all of the, the ACE survey facts and really introduce that history and findings of the ACE study. Uh, but if you really, really want to fully set your feet into a trauma-informed mindset, then you would need to definitely connect with someone like Ann or uh, Jen Best does a lot of our work on the Iowa side. But that virtual ACE introduction training is going to be available through the Child Abuse Council here in the next um, coming weeks. And I can provide you with the link and information to that to share on your, on your social media sites as well. Excellent. I love that. So I think what I'm hearing is the competencies for person-centered care and trauma-informed mm -hmm care really mesh well because we have to look at the individual and their experiences not just within their lifespan but for generations on how it is affecting then their health. Absolutely. Beautifully said. It's that lived experience and the lived experience of our generations previously. I look forward to um, the, the thought process and the and movement of our health professionals to incorporate those competencies in their assessments 
and in in their interventions. And I think in closing, I think it's also important, and Anne, maybe you'll touch on this a little bit, is to still have the individual be accountable, right? Um, Because a lot of times we hear person-centered or trauma-informed care, and people tend to sometimes think we're meaning that that means they're not having to be accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to close on that because I think that's an important piece of it. Yes. I Well, by virtue of using both of those frameworks, I feel like you are inviting the person to, um, to take stock of how their environment has, um, has impacted who they are. I, I can't tell you the amount of clients that come through our doors um, and, and they go through our assessment process. And by virtue of our assessment process, we take a trauma-informed lens and we help them from the get-go begin to understand their story in light of what's happened to them. As, as Paula said earlier, not, um, it's what's happened to you that has led you to struggle with what you're dealing with today. And invite them to understand that, first of all, through that educative piece and begin to understand where, where do we go from here. And it's that person-centered approach to what, what do they want to see different? What do they want to focus their, um, their motivation and their efforts on? Um, and it's not, you know, and that's a very different paradigm shift, I think, from the medical, our, our, you know, our, our historical kind of medical model approach to things um, is to then begin to use the whole entire system as the vehicle for change and the vehicle for intervention. So when we are trauma-informed as an organization, we are really focusing our policies, our procedures, our practices, our interventions on um, building a sense of safety for everyone involved. So not just the, the, um, the provider feeling very safe, it's, it's the individual coming in for services, you know, from that first phone call to, you know, their, their experience in the waiting room to their very first appointment with their provider. How do they feel a sense of safety psychologically, physically, emotionally? Um, it's a, an experience of trustworthiness and transparency around rules and policies and expectations. You touched upon that, and what are the expectations of participating in services? What does that look like? I, I have roles and responsibilities as well does that person, that individual that I'm serving. We also utilize peer support whenever we can, again, honoring that lived experience, those who have struggled through those same hardships and, um, and, and providing that role in the system of care, too. Um, collaboration and mutuality are really important core tenants, empowerment, voice, and choice. Those are all ways that we elevate the individual's role and responsibility in their care, and then never forgetting the cultural and the historical and the gender framework that we always have to be considering when we're looking at um, implementation of policy and practice. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like Anne described earlier, trauma doesn't happen in a vacuum. It occurs in all areas of an individual's life, and it affects all areas of their life. So some of the most impactful things that we as a community can really be we can be mindful of is our interactions and our communication so we need to try to minimize the chance of re-traumatizing or triggering a traumatic event in others lives every day it's also a really great idea to connect with community initiatives that are working towards those trauma aware policy and procedure changes that Anne was talking about we need those changes to take place in schools, in workplaces, and in all service areas of our community. 
We understand, those of us that are doing the trauma work, that it's unlikely we'll ever be able to bring our community ACE scores down to zero, but preventing an increase in trauma will lower the score. It just might be the community of our children and of our students rather than with our coworkers and our parents. Um, Trauma-informed change is such a complicated process because it's not one of those on and off switch results. The work we're Mm -hmm. doing now, we may not produce measurable results for years. We are doing generational work so that we can build those stronger and more resilient communities going forward. Excellent. Thank you both for joining us today. I think we could talk about this for hours. Um, And maybe in the future, we'll have another podcast just about some other pieces of it. But I appreciate both Anne McNellis and Paula Vanervelde. I'll get it right this time. Uh, And uh, for joining us today. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by St. Ambrose University's Institute for Person-Centered Care and KALA-FM. Tune in to our next month's podcast, where SAU Health and Human Service students discuss applying person-centered care in their programs and future practice. You can learn more about the Institute for Person-Centered Care by connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter.